Welcome to the Sandbox. Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast, a conversation on life and what's trending through the lens of faith and creativity. I'm Chris Roberts. And I'm Dave Berg. Dave, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what Sandbox is for those who might be new listeners? Yeah, you know, in addition to this podcast, we have a live event. And our next live event is going to be on September 27th, Sandbox Cooperative. And we're welcoming Mike McCarg, Science Mike McCarg, and he's going to come and talk about doubt, faith, and life. And you'll have the opportunity to hear him present, but then also interact with him, whether you show up at our live venue in Rochester, Minnesota, or if you watch online through our, our live stream. Yeah, one of the great things, and I think it makes this this particular event unique, is that uh, as this person is, is sharing the topic, you get a chance to ask them questions and interact with them, and, and we'll kind of pass those along and, and interact together. And it's, it's a good event. It's been fun to see how a national conversation is kind of growing out of, out of these events. And we're also really excited to announce that Shane Claiborne from Philadelphia uh, is coming in late spring in May of 2016. Shane's going to be talking about social justice and living simply in community. So we normally talk about current events and other trending items during our podcasts. But we had the opportunity to catch up with a few friends who are actively working for solutions to today's topic. So we're just going to jump right in. So today we're going to tackle what we think is a pretty important topic, uh, something that impacts the lives of many people in a very fundamental way, and that's food insecurity. And food insecurity is a very technical term, but very simply defined, it's this. Food insecurity is the state of being without reliable access to a sufficient quantity of affordable, nutritious food. And this isn't just something that happens elsewhere. This is something that happens in our communities and with our neighbors next door, which is a big part of the reason why we wanted to talk about this. As we talk food insecurity, I want to start here. Now, I'm not entirely sure if you are aware, but Chris, a legend fell from grace just a few weeks ago. A national icon, a hero to many. And I speak, of course, of Joey Chestnut the hot dog eating champion. He's a guy who ate 69 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes flat. 69 hot dogs and buns. He recently lost his hot dog title, his Nathan's hot dog eating title to a guy named Matt Stoney who ate 62 hot dogs. And on that particular day, Joey Chestnut only ate 60 hot dogs, and that was just this past July. But the fact remains, the dude ate 69 hot dogs and buns. He's been celebrated on late night talk shows. He's been elevated to cult hero status. He once said after winning his sixth consecutive hot dog eating contest back in 2012, On that day, he ate 68 hot dogs, and he said, I will not stop until I reach 70. This sport isn't about eating. It's about drive and dedication. And at the end of the day, hot dog eating challenges both my body and my mind. Crazy. But here's the thing, though. Even as he crushes nearly 70 hot dogs in one sitting, not even a mile away from where he's doing that eating contest, 
people are lining up around the block and they are waiting for food. Why? Because they're hungry. Kids are going to bed hungry while he is pounding 70 hot dogs. Do we have a food problem? Absolutely. And in more ways than one. I had a professor who said, and and I quote, our problem is not in production. It's in distribution. How are we distributing food equitably in a land of soup kitchens and eating contests? So we recently caught up with a couple of people who are working to end food insecurity in their region. And the first is Steve Delzer, a bishop in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, who's challenged nearly 200 churches to end food insecurity in his region. I would like to introduce Bishop Steve Delzer. He's in charge of 175 congregations made up of around 122,000 people in this geographic region of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Good to be here. Great to have you. Uh, Just as we're talking about food insecurity, would like you to tell a little bit about yourself and why issues of food insecurity are important to you. For me, it really begins with um, a story from my fourth year in the seminary. Uh, So this would have been about 1974-75. And I was going to school full-time. I was working three part-time jobs. I was married, and we had an infant daughter. So not much going on then. Right. (laughs) Wow. I was not a slacker. (laughs) But I came home one evening to our apartment and realized that there was not a cup of milk or a slice of bread Mm. in the apartment. Um, And I wasn't so worried about my wife and I, but I was worried about our infant daughter. Mm. So I called back home to Minnesota to my dad to see if he could help me out. And he said, Steve, you won't believe what happened tonight at church. The women's group voted to send you $300. And, I mean, I was thrilled. It was just a great thing. But I also knew it was going to take a few days for the money to get there because this is the days before automatic transfer between banks. So I put on my jacket. uh, I was going to go ask one of my classmates if I could just borrow a little money for a few days. And I opened the door to the apartment, and there in front of the door was a bag of groceries. Hmm. And to this day, I have no idea who that came from. I had suspicions, but nobody would would fess up to it. The next day I was telling another one of my classmates about this experience and he said, Steve, my wife works for the county social services and you should go see her. You might qualify for food stamps. I never dreamed that I would be someone who would have to use food stamps. But I went and saw her and she was very gracious with the intake and sure enough, we did qualify. And so for about six to eight months, um, we used food stamps. I've always been forever grateful for two things. One, that there was a program like that to help Mm -hmm. out in an emergency. Mm -hmm. And also for a group of friends and family who I knew I could turn to in the midst of crisis. But I also remember how embarrassing it was to stand in line at the grocery store Mm. and hand over food vouchers when everybody around me was paying with cash. That helped to convince me that there is nobody who really wants to be on food stamps. Right, right. Um, and yet I'm grateful that there still is a program in place to help people in the midst of crisis. And in fact, the average length of time that people use food stamps is about six to nine months. Um, and people are getting beat up all the time for you know about, about food stamps and, and yeah. the wastefulness of it, and yet 
it's probably one of the most efficient programs that is out there from yes. the sounds of it. Yeah, it certainly yeah. is. Um, and so I, I take every opportunity I can to make sure that those kinds of, like, uh, snap, I think it's called now, mm-hmm. that they don't get cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully even some increases. Yeah. Um, the other part of my story is um, I was a pastor in Northfield, and uh, we had a Wednesday evening meal for the kids who were there and their families on Wednesday evenings. And one evening, this uh, young uh, woman and her three little kids came. They were not members, had never been there before. Mm-hmm. Um, I welcomed them, invited them to join us. Uh, they were obviously hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, and as time went on, um, you know, I invited them to come back. And as time went on, I discovered that they were victims of domestic violence. Mm. And after a while, um, the mom finally came to the point of realizing that for her own safety and the safety of her children, she needed to escape that. The problem was I couldn't find anywhere for her to go. This is about 20 years ago now. Um, And her husband found out that uh, we had been talking about this, and he packed up her and the kids and moved them all away, and I never heard from them again. Mm. To this day, I have no idea what happened. Mm. Well, I fast forward about 10 years or so, and and at at that time then I'm a pastor in Faribault, and a woman from the congregation came to me and said that she was feeling called by God to establish transitional housing for women and children who are victims of domestic violence. Wow. And asked if I would help. And immediately in, in my mind was a picture of that, that young woman and her mm-hmm. three little kids. So I'm on board with this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Ruth's house in Faribault. And... Um, for about 10 years, I was the board chair. I helped to raise money. For 11 years, I'd run a marathon each year to help raise money for it. But what struck me about that as I reflected on it is it all began with food. Okay. This mom and her kids who came because they were hungry. And I've come to realize how many of the struggles in our society have a connection to hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, So that's what underlies my passion for what we've established here in the Synod of trying to eliminate food insecurity. Food is the great equalizer, right? Everybody needs to eat. Everybody needs to eat, yeah. You know, even kids, I mean, over and over, we we see how if they have adequate food, they do better in school. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. if If they come to school hungry, they have a harder time learning. Talk to so many school principals, uh, you know, different churches and organizations ha- are affiliated with backpack programs where they fill up backpacks and, and the kids on Fridays take it home so they can get through the weekend. Talk to numerous principals who say, as soon as the kids get the backpacks, their attentiveness goes up, um, behavior problems go down, and, and grades are, are improving. Yeah. Yeah. And often what we've found out through those backpack programs is that sometimes it's actually probably feeding the whole family. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, this is some of your personal story, ways that it's personal for you, uh, whether it was uh, in the days that you were studying to be a pastor or uh, in, in the time as a pastor, as people you've interacted mm-hmm. with uh, in your community. Uh, and now you are bishop in charge of this you know what, 175 some congregations in our area, 
and and you've been a part of naming food insecurity and ending food insecurity in this corner of the state of Minnesota. Where does that come from? Why? Um, just a couple of months after I was um, elected to be bishop, it was a city council meeting, and I simply asked the question, what is there that we could do together as a synod, something that most every congregation would buy into, that would really make a difference in the lives of people in, in this part of Minnesota. And food insecurity was what the group came to. Um, and it's been incredible to watch congregations um, take this up. What we learned is that virtually every one of our congregations is already doing something related to feeding hungry people. Okay. Um, and, and then also we've tried to partner with other organizations like Channel One. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Channel sis- One, which is the regional food bank. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the sisters at Assisi Heights, where our offices are, have partnered with us. Um, the county um, health, nurse, um, health nurses have partnered with us. Um, I've even been able to draw the Episcopal Church in this part of the country into um, this partnership with us. Um, so it's about making connections with different, uh, not only with different uh, faith communities, but also with different agencies and and other constituencies that again the great equalizing factor everybody needs to eat so how can we do this better together yeah yeah Yeah, because we know we can't do it alone what are some stories you could tell about addressing food insecurity on the ground locally what are some things that are happening out there certainly in many many communities is a local food shelf Mm -hmm. and typically that is either housed in a congregation or some community building but uh, often it's even um, a collection of congregations who help to sponsor that. Sure. Another is the, the backpack program that you mentioned, a relatively mm-hmm. new thing, but rapidly spreading. Um, and again, often it's a combination of congregations and even service agencies like Rotary Clubs and Lions Clubs and sure. so forth who will help to provide the food for those, those backpacks. Um, another is a community meal. One of my favorites, I'll, I, I keep going back, I suppose, to my own experience, mm-hmm. but in Faribault, mm-hmm. um, it's uh, a meal on Tuesday evenings called the Community Cathedral Cafe. It's served at the Episcopal Cathedral in Faribault, but there are 11 different congregations from town who participate in sponsoring that every Tuesday evening. Mm. Um, it typically serves probably 150 to 200 people. Um, and the teams were formed so that there's a team for each week of the month. So f- actually five teams because there's actually one for when there's a fifth week in the month. Mm-hmm. But we intentionally did not form the teams so that they all everybody comes from the same congregation. Okay. We mixed them up so that also people are getting to know each other and care for each other um, across the congregations. That's great. Uh, And it's specifically, it's a free meal, Mm -hmm. and it's to provide food and fellowship. And it's amazing how many people come who probably have enough food Mm -hmm. but don't have contact with others. Okay. And so come. um, So it's feeding people's bodies but feeding their spirits too. 
and and so often we're stuck in our own houses and not building community and uh, this uh, communal aspect of, of a meal. Right. Uh, you can eat it by yourself over the sink yeah. in your house, or yeah. you can sit across the table from someone and, and yeah. And my big push has been with our congregations to get outside the walls of the building mm-hmm. and into your community and find out what's going on in the community, what needs doing, and figure out a way to get it done. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, not just waiting for people to come to us, but finding ways to go out and, and meet people and, yeah. um, and care for them. Fantastic. What else would you like to say about uh, being a Jesus person with regard to feeding hungry people? I want people to know that they're not alone. Mm. Um, I want to do whatever I can to help people see that that God walks with them. I think there was a time in my life when I thought that the that uh, mission evangelism was was me and others taking God to people, mm. and I've come to realize that that God's already there. And I think God is even present in everybody's life. They may just may not see it. Okay. And so I want to I want to be able to help people to see that that God is is there, present in in their life. Mm-hmm. Help them to to know that they're not alone. Um, that's been such a significant thing for me in my life. Already at a really young age to know that I I wasn't alone. That. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it seemed like everybody around me deserted me, at least I knew God was there with me. With you in the struggle. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for, for sharing a bit of your story and and, uh, and your ministry and what you do. So I appreciate uh, that so much. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me to, yeah. to come in and share. Thanks. When I hear Bishop Delzer share a story about not being sure how to feed his child when he's studying to become a pastor— I think about how easy it is for people to suddenly not know where their next meal is coming from. Um, thankfully, I've never been in a situation where I didn't know how I'd find enough food to eat. But I do know what it's like to have a series of events kick you into a situation you didn't think you'd ever be in. So when I was in my last year of college, my um, money situation was pretty tight. I was working around 20 hours a week in an on-campus job in addition to all my classes. So my schedule was pretty full and not really much room to make any extra money. And between rent and my car payments, I had about 50 bucks extra every month. So at this point, I had learned a lot about how not to use money, and I'd really significantly shifted my spending habits uh, out of necessity and also kind of better understanding how to prepare for the future and the unknown. But there still wasn't a lot extra there. Uh, And then in a matter of three months or so, I had about $1,500 worth of car repairs come up. Brakes basically went out of me. Uh, One of the windows shattered into about a million pieces, and not the kind of thing you can really wait on. Um, so I went from barely having enough to still not having enough and now having a maxed out credit card that I could almost make the full payment on in less than three months. I probably could have asked for help, but I felt like I had to do it on my own. Uh, and I honestly felt a little embarrassed that I, that I couldn't do it on my own, which I think maybe speaks to our individualism, something that could be a whole different podcast topic someday. But, um, but the thing is I was someone who I thought was doing the right thing. I worked hard to get grades in high school. I could go to college and get a good job. And, uh, and so many times, unfortunately, it's those un- unexpected events that can push people into a time of crisis. Um, so I really resonate with that story. Yeah. And you know, Chris, when you look at some of the numbers, the, the hunger statistics that 
are out there, there's all kinds of crisis happening in our country. And we don't know what led the people who are behind these statistics to to be in this time of, of, of crisis. It could have been they wrecked their car. It could have been health problems. It could have been any number of things. But the, the numbers are daunting and, and uh, staggering numbers. And, and the numbers that I have come from Feeding America, and, and here, here, here's what we have. In the year 2013, 49.1 million Americans lived in food insecure households. 49.1 million. And also in 2013, 14% of households, that's 17.5 million households, were food insecure. In 2011, 4.8 million seniors, that's people over the age of 60, or 8% of all seniors, were food insecure. Food insecurity exists in every county in America. If you live in America, there are people who are food insecure who are your neighbors. And the lowest uh, county as far as being food insecure was Slope County in, in North Dakota. And Humphreys County in, in Mississippi, 33% of Humphreys County in Mississippi is food insecure. In 2013, 62% of food insecure households participated in at least one of three major federal food assistance programs. SNAP, what we used to be called what used to be called food stamps, the National School Lunch Program, and the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, also known as as WIC. Yeah, those numbers really are are daunting, and I think that it's a bigger problem than people realize. And that's, that's maybe part of, of addressing it is just recognizing mm-hmm. how many people around us um, actually are struggling with this. Um, and the good thing is there are a lot of people doing some really good work to change some of this. Um, so we also had the opportunity to speak to Jen Woodford. Uh, she's the executive director of channel one, a regional food bank in Southeast Minnesota. And so Jen works with the people behind some of these numbers every day in her work. And we want to share some of that conversation with you now. Jen is the executive director of the Channel One Regional Food Bank, which serves seniors, people with physical or mental health disabilities, working families and individuals, as well as people in all kinds of crisis. They also serve food shelves, programs, and agencies in 14 counties in the state of Minnesota and western Wisconsin. Welcome, Jen. It's good to have you here. Uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and why issues of food insecurity are, are so important to you. Well, thanks. It's great to be here, Dave. People that we serve every single day are battling with food insecurity. That's the main reason we, that we see them. And food insecurity is a term coined by the USDA, um, specifically meaning having consistent access to adequate food um, that's sometimes limited by a lack of money or other resources at times during the year. So we talk about food insecurity. We talk about people struggling with hunger, all sorts of different ways you can say it. But when it boils down to it, we're serving people who just don't have enough food at different times. And that's really what we're all about every single day. As the executive director of a regional food bank, what are some of the major issues your organization deals with on a day-to-day basis? So we have two things. At Channel One, we're lucky that we have both a direct service, we have our own food shelf system in Olmstead County. And as a food bank, we give food to other agencies who then give it to the end consumer. So we have two things that we're working with every single day. And with each, there's challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, there's joys, mm-hmm. of course, but there's challenges. Uh, one is, truly, we just don't have enough food. 
I mean, we serve about 100,000 people. You mentioned we serve 14 counties, mm-hmm. um, and about 100,000 people through those 14 counties, uh, directly in Olmstead County through mm-hmm. our shelf, mm-hmm. and then with partner agencies in the other counties. We're close to distributing about 10 million pounds of food a year. Wow. And you would think that maybe that would be enough, but it's not, especially at certain times of the year. Right now, mm-hmm. this is our busiest time of the year. Because kids are off for summer and that sort of thing? That's exactly right. Okay. You know, we see so many families that we only serve in the summer. Mm-hmm. But when you don't have access to breakfast and lunch at school, that yeah. is a huge yeah. piece of the puzzle. Say if you have two kids and you're eligible for, you know, free or reduced priced breakfast and lunch at school, um, two kids, two meals a day, five meals a week, or five days a week, all of a sudden, holy cow, mm-hmm. where are you going to come up with an extra 70 or $80 a week mm-hmm. just for breakfast and lunch to feed your family when your budget for food is already at the max? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's our busiest time of the year. It's also our busiest time for the for our partners. Okay. So that's when we really struggle because it's you can't we're doing this on the radio so you can't see my hands but it's an right. inverse proportion our demand right. goes sky high and our supply goes down mm. unfortunately that happens every year as well a lot of places that do food drives for us clubs and organizations businesses churches schools they all slow way down or mm. even sometimes close entirely for the mm. summer so we have a big inverse going with supply and demand that's and a big so, challenge for us. And so conversely, during Christmas season, you're probably inundated on it with everybody wants to feed people and make sure they have a nice Christmas. But during the summer, not so much. Well, people just don't think about it. Right. You you know, right. people do tend to think about giving back at the time of the year when they have blessings, mm-hmm. when they're co- giving thanks, when they're, you know, celebrating holidays. So really from Thanksgiving all the way through Christmas, we are so blessed mm-hmm. with people who want to help. They want to mm-hmm. volunteer. They want to do a food drive. And we need that, don't get me wrong. Sure, right. But it's the summer months when we really mm-hmm. are our busiest with demand, mm-hmm. and that's when we need help even more. You talk about not having enough food at this time of year, um, and that's a systemic issue. Uh, and so I'm wondering, what systemic issues exist that keep people from getting uh, adequate nutrition? Food insecurity. There's so many things that go into a household being food insecure. A couple of things that we see locally, and I know our trends nationally, uh, are related to income. Mm-hmm. You know, we have been relatively isolated from unemployment in our area. We mm-hmm. have a relatively low unemployment. And in fact, nationally, unemployment is dropping, right. which, is, which is great news. Right. But what we see here and what is an issue around the country is underemployment. Okay. So we have many families, most of the families that we serve, in fact, um, a high percentage, I'd say as much as you know, 60 to 70 percent, have a person in them who, ha- who hold a job. Mm-hmm. Um, there's income coming in you know, from, from, a, from a job. But what we see a lot are, first of all, low wages. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that. I mean, especially when you're an hourly worker, that's a right. that's a chronic issue all across the country. But then also not being able to get enough hours. So not having 40 hours reliable every single week. Mm-hmm. You know, some weeks maybe you only get 25 hours. Yeah. Some weeks you get 30 or 32 hours. Um, but that's where we have a real problem is with underemployment in our area combined with low wages. Big problem for those families we serve. Another issue in a lot of places certainly in our area, is high cost of housing. Okay. Typically, you don't want a family to have to spend more than 30% of their income on their housing situation. But because there's such limited housing in our area that's available, 
Now, all of a sudden, you're paying far more than you ideally would be of your income on your housing situation. Right. So when you combine, you know, maybe, you know, not not full wages, not 40 hours a week, um, combined with paying more than you should be or, you know, more than you ideally would be for mm-hmm. housing, there's not a lot of places where you can cut every single month. Uh, you, you know, your landlord or, you know, or your mortgage company, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the same amount every single month, your car payment, same thing, utilities, same thing. You need to have a phone. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, especially now people only have cell phones. A cell phone isn't a luxury anymore. It's a necessity in this day and age. So you might have a cell phone bill as well. You know, there's things that you just have to have. And then it comes down to making choices. And we've, we did a survey last year and we talked about what people made choices are when they had to pay for food or something else. You know, and, and across the country, 70% of people, of clients in the Feeding America Network, reported they had to choose between buying food and paying their utilities. Well, you have mm-hmm. to pay your utilities. Or 67% reported they had to choose between buying food at the store or paying for transportation. Again, transportation is a necessity. Many, for many people, it's a car. If you, you know, if you're working in a place where you have to get to your job and there's no public transportation access. Um, But even public transportation, of course, has a cost to it. Choosing between paying for food or medical care. Yeah, I was going to ask about health care. You think about health care costs are always going up. Yes. And um, also, you know, the cost of food itself has gone up so much. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, especially for protein items. Um, And when you look at, you know, meats and even peanut butter, the cost of peanut butter really has has gone up significantly over the last Mm -hmm. couple of years. The cost of the cost of food is something that's really that's a big debate because we are working as much as we can to try to provide highly nutritious food, you know, whether it be even even food that's that's processed, Mm -hmm. um, but doing as much as we can with produce. but that's a, that's a tough thing because if you're using your own dollars um, at the grocery store, chances are you can stretch your funds further to feed yourself or to feed your family by buying less nutritious food. Absolutely. I can go to the local gas station here and buy a pizza for five bucks. Yes. And that'll feed, well, I mean, when I was in high school, that'd feed me. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but you can go a lot longer on five bucks there than on anything that's worth eating. That's exactly right. And, you know, almost 80% of, of people um, who are food insecure report that they do purchase less expensive, unhealthy food mm-hmm. because the dollar goes farther. I mean, you look at the dollar value menu at, mm-hmm. you know, a fast food restaurant. Those kinds of choices are what people who are food insecure are faced with. Right. You know, a pound of grapes, if you're lucky, is $3. Right. You know, uh, blueberries, I was just in the store, blueberries, $3. You know, luckily, we have a couple of options around here at a mm-hmm. convenience type store where they have bananas and potatoes and onions at a relatively low cost. Mm-hmm. But in general, the norm is... The healthier the food, the more it costs. The more it costs and the less it keeps. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. My pizza will keep in the fridge for a few days. Yeah, absolutely. And that is that is a problem. Yeah. And it's a whole other issue. But you talk about food deserts. Yes. And there are parts of the country where that is an extreme issue where because their convenience stores don't have bananas and right. potatoes and, and onions. Um, all they have is a can of this a bag of that. Um, mm. it, it's it, it's really tough. Mm. Uh, and so those, again, not only is it expensive, 
um, but it's highly processed, not nearly as nutritious as something fresh, but it's the only option that they have. Right. What are some simple things that you know, average people uh, like me can do to have a positive impact, be part of a solution? Yeah. Well, with food insecurity, I, I would start with a really basic learning about what's going on. Okay. You know, education. Take education and taking yeah. the time to understand, you know, these numbers that I talk about. I can talk about 10 million pounds, 100,000 people, you know, 80% purchase less healthy food. But just having a general understanding of really what it means and understanding who is who is struggling with food insecurity. So say, say a bit about that. Like, yeah. Who is who is it? What is the face of hunger in our in our? Absolutely, yeah. and I think that's where we still struggle with the misconception. Is um, even as within the last couple of months, I had discussions with people who were really familiar with our work, but assumed that we primarily served people who were homeless mm-hmm. or who had substance abuse issues. Right, and that was all we did. Um, the primary people that we serve are, as I said before, they work, uh, their families. Um, we call them the working poor. Okay. Um, and again, whether it's an individual or an entire family that involves kids, um, that's a huge issue, um, mm. food insecurity. And you don't necessarily know. You know, they, they have their own home, hopefully. Mm. Um, they have a car to drive. Um, but they may be somebody that you work with, your kids go to school with. A, a prime example is I had a, a text late one night, and it was from a woman whose child had been in sports with one of my kids. Okay. And I'm intentionally being vague okay. <laughs> on yeah. that. Um, and, and this mom um, had gone through a divorce, um, had two kids, um, had been trying to complete some schooling um, for the betterment of, of a career position, mm. uh, but was dependent on a paycheck every two weeks um, and had gotten to... But there were about three days left till her next paycheck, and the refrigerator was empty. Mm. She did not know what to do. Uh, this was a relatively new feeling for her since her divorce of being able to provide mm. um, and having to provide on that daily basis and going paycheck to paycheck. And she said, I can't believe I have to ask this, but I don't know what else to do, and I am in a complete panic. Right. We won't make it till Tuesday when I get paid. The refrigerator is almost completely empty already. I need help. But unfortunately, because there can be stigma attached, she she resisted, you know, far longer than I had hoped anybody would. Mm -hmm. Um, But to the point where she was near hyperventilation and the panic was setting in and was in tears. Um, But luckily, for her family, for her kids, said, I know I need help, and she knew where to get it. Right. And we were able to arrange it in the next morning, very next morning at 8 a.m. She mm. had groceries and was able to fill her refrigerator. But right. that's the face of hunger. Right. It's not, it's, it's not only someone who's homeless. Now, certainly we have homeless you know, clients. Yeah. Certainly we yeah. have clients who have substance abuse issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but far more, they are people that sit next to you in church. Mm-hmm. They're in line next to you at the grocery store. They're people that you work with, that your kids know. Mm-hmm. You really have no idea what's going on behind closed doors. And there's so many reasons, mm-hmm. whether it is, a, you know, a change in, in life status. Sometimes it's a divorce or a death in the family. Sometimes it's a medical issue. We have lots of clients who come to us who maybe they've had to change their job status because of a medical issue. The mm-hmm. medical bills are mounting. So many reasons. And, you know, unfortunately, and I, I can very much understand it, but 
asking for help, especially in this kind of situation, isn't easy. We understand that. Right. But once you make that first request, we say thank you. We say thank you for trusting us. Mm-hmm. And now let us do what we do so that we can help you so that it gets better pretty quickly. You're fighting a lot of battles. You're fighting stigma. Absolutely. You're fighting uh, cultural norms. Yes. Because clearly we can all do it on our own, right? That's, <laughs> that's, that's the myth that we've bought into. And you want to know which population that's the worst with? Seniors. Seniors, really? Oh, my goodness. Um, seniors really struggle with mm. taking a handout. Oh, I see. Which is, which is how, you know, many of them perceive this. Yeah. Um, you know, they've been taught that you, you don't need help, you don't accept help, you can do it yourself, exactly mm-hmm. what you were saying. Mm-hmm. But one of the fastest rising populations of people in poverty are seniors. And that's twofold. One is just that there's just more and more seniors every day as, right. we're, as we're in the With baby the boomers, boom. Yeah. Right. But the other part is, is that when we came through the last recession, seniors who are already, you know, they've got it planned out, they've, they know what the resources they need, well, the recession really hit many seniors hard. Mm-hmm. And they needed to um, many times spend through a lot of their savings that they didn't think they were going to have to spend through so early in their lifespan. Right. So now they're struggling. You know, they're struggling to have enough funds from their savings, maybe from their Social Security, so that they can continue to make those ends meet every month. And unfortunately, as I talked about before, where do they cut? They've mm-hmm. got to buy prescriptions, many of them. They You're cut right. on their food. Yeah. 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 It's tough. But that's yeah, that's absolutely another one is we don't need to ask for help. We can do it all ourselves. Made it this far, I'll be all right. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. So as far as kind of things that we can do to have a positive impact as, as individuals, certainly there's education. It's discovering what the face of home, uh, hunger is in, in our communities. Yep. And then, uh, you know, figuring out who to partner with, uh, organizations like your own. That's right. And, and learning what resources are out there. Yeah. And that's an important one, too. And kind of learning who does what so that when you're hearing a conversation um, at church, at work, with your friends, um, or you know somebody who's going through something and you know they need help. Mm-hmm. Sometimes having somebody that you know give you some options makes it a lot easier. You know, that kind of a little bit of that stigma can be removed, um, knowing there's somebody to go, you know, maybe guide you through the process. Mm-hmm. So exactly, knowing what programs are available, maybe how to find them, mm-hmm. um, and certainly directly getting involved. You know, with the, almost every hunger relief organization out there, I can't think of a one that probably doesn't need some volunteers. Right. right. We, you know, at Channel One, we have over 2,200 volunteers a year, provide over 20,000 vo- hours of volunteer service. We simply could not do what we do without volunteers, right. without a doubt. So you can do something like that. You can make a donation, whether it's food, whether it's funds. Um, but just, again, pick whatever, whatever calls you. Um, and do something about it. Yeah, yeah. Pay attention. Look out for your neighbor. Listen. Yep. Get involved. Yeah. Get involved. And again, on the on the listen part and the lookout part, when people need help, I've I've learned that sometimes they'll drop clues, mm-hmm. um, or or you know, kind of make some comments. Um, and I think if we can get over the fact that it's okay to ask. Is everything okay? Is there anything going on? Is there anything I can help with? Sometimes even just a friendly comment like that mm-hmm. will help tear down a wall or tear down a, a, you know, kind of a defense mechanism that somebody has built up. Um, and that can go a long way, just knowing that somebody cares. Yeah. Jen, thank you so much for, for being with us and uh, being a part of the Sandbox today. Oh, so. 
My pleasure. Thanks for talking about the issue, because the more we talk about it, uh, the better we can make it be. There's this well-known story about Jesus feeding 5,000 people. His friends point out that the thousands of people who are gathered are hungry for something to eat. But the disciples want to make it clear to Jesus that it would take more than half a year's earnings to provide even just a bite for each person. Yet Jesus says, you give them something to eat, and calls on them to share what is available. All of them ate and were satisfied. Jesus produced the miracle of enough, and he called on those around him to share the meal with everyone who was gathered. Maybe the first step in addressing food insecurity is admitting we have a problem. And maybe the problem exists in our unwillingness to share and distribute the miracle that we've been given. Again, we don't have a problem in production. We have a problem in distribution. How are we sharing the miracle of more than enough food so that everyone can eat? There is so much out there right now on food insecurity. And you know what? It's kind of, Chris, it's kind of exciting to see people actually paying attention to this. I feel like we've hit a turning point, maybe a tipping point. I see more and more every day because there's so much to learn. Yeah. In fact, just uh, just before we were recording this, I caught a bit of John Oliver's most recent episode of Last Week Tonight. Yeah, John Oliver is incredible, isn't he? He is. Uh, and he was talking a little bit about food waste. Um, included some pretty stunning images of exactly how much food doesn't get to the people who need it in our country. Um, if you're interested in continuing to learn a bit more about this problem, you can find the video link to that in the description below. Otherwise, there are just tons of other resources online as well, and you can learn a little bit more about the problem in your particular area. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for listening. As always, check us out on Facebook or Twitter. Let us know what's on your mind and continue the conversation in the comment section of our website. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Roberts. And I'm Dave Berg. See you next time. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox.